good to be with you this morning. I appreciated Roger's care in reporting uh, the titles that I carry at my job. I answer to either professor or dean. Either one is fine. Had an occasion recently to answer the question in a social situation where I just met somebody. So are you a preacher? And I gave the most truthful answer I could manage uh, on the spur of the moment, which is, no, but I do a roving impression of one. Um, and as a sometime uh, itinerant preacher, it's always nice when a congregation that you've preached to before has had time to forget what happened last time <laughs> and you get asked back. Uh, so I'm very pleased to be with you this morning. Uh, it's always a blessing to share in your worship uh, and to open the word with you. I'd invite your attention to this reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, the 11th chapter, beginning at verse 25. Shall we again stand for the reading of the Word? At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Will you please be seated? If we pay attention to our neighbors today, if we listen to what's being said about folks like us who get together in a house like this on a Sunday morning instead of finding other things to do with our weekend, we'll notice that some of our contemporaries have formed the impression that the Christian church and its members are closed-minded and judgmental and harsh, and well, mean. And in some cases, that's no doubt understandable. Christians aren't perfect by any means, and perhaps we've known a Christian or two, maybe even a whole congregation, that's been judgmental, or closed-minded, or mean to somebody we know, maybe even to us. But more than that, people will say, in being judgmental, Christians are not being like Jesus, who was always warm and welcoming and nice. Jesus would never have made the sort of firm pronouncements about what people believe and how they live that the church has made throughout its history. 
Jesus wasn't a stickler for doctrine. And in the days of his flesh, he never approached people in a critical spirit or stood in judgment on others. And when the church gets hung up on matters of doctrine and ethics, we're told, it's departing from the example of Jesus. He believed in the power of positive thinking, and he went through ancient Galilee and Judea urging people to find their best life now. If our era were going to sing one song in praise of the man we read about in the Gospels, I think it might be a toss-up between gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and Jesus is just all right with me. And it's true. We can pick and choose verses from here and there in the gospel, phrases even, and we can cobble together a picture of Jesus who teaches only, judge not, that you be not judged. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That's a bit hard on the scribes and Pharisees, but it leaves the rest of us in the clear. Does no one condemn you? Jesus asks, neither do I. We can pull verses like that out of their context, and sure enough, we can pull together an image of Jesus who smiles comfortingly and reassuringly at us whatever we do, who nods with understanding and approval whatever choices we make, whichever way we go in life. This Jesus reassures us that whatever we do, we're just being ourselves, just giving expression to our beautiful inner natures, just following our bliss, a quest that this Jesus is happy to bless. More than anything, Jesus wants us to be happy, doesn't he? It's no doubt a comforting line of thought. Maybe we've indulged it ourselves from time to time. But the only way to maintain it is precisely to be selective about the verses of the New Testament that we read and to skip reading the Gospels in their entirety. For the Jesus who says, nor do I condemn you, in his next breath charges, go and sin no more. The Jesus who tells his disciples not to judge then tells them that the judgment we render to others will be the judgment we ourselves receive. If we're moved to correct somebody else's moral blind spot, Jesus suggests in a comical image, first it would help to remove the log that's sticking out of our own eye, and then we can see clearly to remove the speck that's interfering with our brother's vision. Judgment about what's right and wrong isn't absent from the life of Jesus' followers as we read it. But judgment begins with each of us who have decided to follow him. So, the picture is a little more complicated than some people seem to think. The scripture text we heard a moment ago is another one that, if we're of a mind, we can clip out of the Gospels and fit into our own portrait of a Jesus who never corrects and who only ever comforts. 
Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen to it out of context, and it sounds like Jesus might be in competition with Mattress King. He offers us ease and maybe even a money-back guarantee. But if we read in context, we see that that's not a complete picture of the offer that Jesus makes to disciples. In the verses just before the ones we read, Jesus offers some of the harshest words he ever uttered for those who saw the mighty works that God did through his ministry, but who didn't acknowledge the hand of God there or turned to follow him. There's not much meek or mild about Jesus' words in verse 24. In the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than it will be for you who have failed to acknowledge what God is doing through me. And then, in the verses we've heard, Jesus begins by calling on the God whose power is at work in his ministry, and he thanks his heavenly Father for concealing his purposes from the wise and understanding, or those who thought of themselves that way, for scribes and Pharisees, for example, and revealing his will to those he calls infants. It's an image, I think, for those who are helpless and recognize their helplessness. The same people that Jesus calls the poor in spirit in the Sermon on the Mount. Those who recognize that apart from God's initiative and invitation, we can never fathom his purposes or enter his kingdom. That's what Jesus says in verses 25 and 26. And then he utters one of the hardest words in the gospel for people today to take on board. God the Father has entrusted all he has to show us about himself to Jesus, his son. Nobody has a true and full picture of the son. Nobody really knows him except the father. And nobody really and truly and fully knows the father except the son. We can only know the Father if the Son introduces him to us. Isn't that a little narrow, Jesus? Shouldn't you make some allowance for what people can learn from Confucius or the Buddha or Socrates or Tony Robbins? Some of you recognize Tony Robbins, I see. No, Jesus says, not if we're talking about full and intimate and deep and saving knowledge of the Father and his will for all he has created. God has chosen to renew and to complete his creation through the Son, who came to call not the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus can't reveal his Father's innermost heart to us if we imagine ourselves wise or able to guide our own steps. He can only introduce us to the Father if we acknowledge our helplessness to know him in our own wisdom or to enter his kingdom through our own power. That's verse 27. And then finally, 
in verse 28, Jesus offers his invitation to those willing to seek this saving knowledge of the Father from him and him alone. He invites those who are carrying heavy burdens to come to him for rest and refreshment. That's right. But it's not a permanent rest as soon as we enter Jesus' presence. Not in this life, anyway. Is it permanent? Jesus' invitation is to lay down the burdens we're carrying, to rest with him and be refreshed, and then to take on his yoke and proceed on the path that he'll lead us on. For those of us who had, like me, a city upbringing, the yoke Jesus speaks of isn't part of an egg. A yoke is a wooden device that you'd use to join two oxen or two horses at the neck so that they could pull a cart or a plow. A yoke accomplished two things. It made the will of an animal subject to its master, and it empowered that animal to pull a heavier load than you could place on its back. In the Old Testament, the yoke is often a metaphor for servitude to a king or a foreign power. In the New Testament, it's also a metaphor for committing yourself to a teacher and following the way of life that he advocates and shows you by his example. That kind of yoke we don't have forced on us like an ox. We assume it of our own free will. And the remarkable thing Jesus says is that if we're willing to accept his yoke, if we'll lay down the burdens that we've picked out to carry ourselves, if we'll learn the way of life that he teaches, we'll find that as a master, as a leader, he is gentle. He isn't a harsh Lord who mistreats those under his yoke. And the burden he offers us is light in comparison with any other load that we can find to shoulder. We find that illustrated at the conclusion of Matthew's Gospel. In the very last paragraph in chapter 28, the risen Jesus calls his disciples back into fellowship with him after they'd thrown off his yoke and broken that fellowship on the night in which he was handed over to death. He first lays upon them a heavier burden than the one that they've been asked to carry before. They'd been sent to proclaim the kingdom of God to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But now, they're to go and make Jesus' disciples from all the nations, teaching them, teaching us, to do all that Jesus had taught from the Sermon of the Mount onward beginning with the teaching that the only one worth serving in heaven or on earth is the God who sees in secret and who knows us for who we are when no one else can see. If we would find rest, we must learn to live to please him alone above anyone or anything else. That's a burden, all right. But Jesus promises his followers that we don't shoulder it with just our own strength. Jesus will go with us who accept his burden always, even to the close of the age. And then we'll find rest indeed. 
So I'm a guest here, and I hope it's not impolite to ask, but I wonder, anybody come to church today weary? Any of us carrying burdens and worn down by the weight that we've taken on our shoulders? Anybody need a little rest and help with what we're carrying? Anybody ready to lay down the cares the world has laid upon us or that we've taken on ourselves and take up Jesus' light and easy yoke, a new or for the first time? Jesus' invitation to us presupposes a point that he doesn't make explicit in this passage, but that Bob Dylan put pretty well. You gotta serve somebody or something. Jesus tells us, for example, that we can't serve God and mammon or riches. Mammon is a master with a lot of followers in our day. There are others to choose from, pleasure and ease and the esteem of others. All burdens under which people will labor their whole life through. Jesus tells us that if we'll lay any of those down, all of those down, he can place a lighter load upon us and help us carry it. But we have to choose his yoke, his way. Whatever burden we've carried into this house today, Jesus offers all of us who are weary of the world's burdens a rest from our labors. He invites us to accept his easy yoke through faith and baptism. He offers us refreshment at his table. And he promises us that as we undertake by the power of God's Spirit to continue his ministry and extend his invitation to all nations, as he gives us opportunity, he will go with us all our days, even to the end of our life, even to the close of the age, and he will finally welcome us into the kingdom of his Father. The church echoes Jesus' invitation every time we gather at his table, every time we join our voices in praise and in prayer, every time we hear his word, and so it is today. Jesus' invitation to accept his burden is placed before each of us, before all of us, as together we stand to sing. <laughs>